Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. You should remember that you're not alone because it can be really scary stepping into the life. I was scared about doing it. Like, okay, I'm with this big boat. I can't screw up going into the marina. Why is this thing breaking? I don't know what we're doing. And that's a, like a really alone feeling when you're taking this big step. And you're not alone in that. Everybody else that's out there has that same feeling. And it made, especially for guys, because guys are supposed to be like the captain and know everything. And the reality is we don't. We have no clue what's going on <laughs> most of the time. And it can just be really lonely and put a lot of unneeded stress. So I think that's another good piece of advice. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverbird Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests are sharing inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. Getting started with the sailing lifestyle can be a really overwhelming thing, especially if you don't have sailing experience or connections to the sailing community. Today's interview is with a couple who has been perhaps the most influential to me personally, and you likely know these awesome sailors, Ryan and Sophie, from YouTube. We retrace their steps on how they learned to sail, gained experience, and how they bought a boat with very little experience. We also talk about the pros and cons of sailing in the Mediterranean versus the Caribbean, and Ryan and Sophie also reveal what is the one thing they would change in their Beneteau Oceanus. This couple is all about sharing actionable tips to new and aspiring sailors, so let's hear all about it. Here is my interview with Ryan and Sophie. So I want to go way back to the beginning of your sailing story to begin with, uh, even pre-YouTube times. So I know you took two weeks of formal sail training before you bought your own boat. Now, looking back, what do you wish you had learned more about on those sailing courses but didn't? We had an amazing instructor, and when we contacted our school, we told them about our project. And so they really adapted the course to our project, and they, they taught us everything about buying a boat and what we should think about when buying the boat and how to build on our skills um, what would you say, Ryan? I think that our instructors were phenomenal. There is never something that I told myself. I wish they had taught us that. I think I think this question goes back to even my flying days because w w when I was a pilot and going through all my training, there's lots of stuff they can teach you. And there's lots of things they teach you in sailing, like which way to wrap the line around the winch. Like that's something you need to know. And you're going to figure it out yourself, but it's nice to have someone tell you. 
so I don't think I agree with Sophie. I don't think there's anything that I wish they would have taught us, but I think what's important to remember is that most of your training, if you will, is going to come after the course. You're going to learn most of the things you need to know <laughs> through trial and error, which you know can sometimes be a painful process. But uh, I think that's the important thing we walked away from. Because there's, I mean, even today we go out and we're like, oh yeah, probably should think about that. With, with that said, I remember that we left our sailing course believing that when you anchor, you drop the anchor and you're good. Not Not true. <laughs> For anyone listening, when you drop your anchor, you need to back on the anchor to set it. And we did not know that. And for like, it, nothing bad happened out of this thing. Did you stay in marinas on your sailing course or did you anchor out? We were in marinas, I'd say 95% of the time. And we did anchor a couple times, but it was just like to practice anchoring. It wasn't to like actually stay overnight. And I think, but staying in marinas was good because that's like the worst part of sailing is maneuvering in the marina. So I think it was more about just us getting practice of going in and out than anything. Which is great. Having the confidence that you can dock your boat in any kind of spot or situation, it builds so much confidence. At the end of the day, it's not what you're going to be doing a lot because you're probably going to spend your life on the anchor. But that confidence that you can take your boat in and out of harbor That's valuable. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think you guys had a really good approach in taking a private course that was essentially tailored to what you would need and what you would want in that course. So I think that's a really good approach to think about for anyone who's uh, listening as well. Yes. So for anyone listening, our biggest tips, because I do believe that we are where we are today because we get good instruction. Our tips is to contact a school, Tell them about your project and try to see if there is a way that you and your partner can be on the boat with the instructor for a prolonged period of time. Because uh, that that gave Ryan and, us, uh, and I so much um, in terms of learning not only how to sail, but also how we work, how we can work together on the boat. Uh, it was It was great. Yeah, that's awesome. So one of the reasons why both my partner Adam and I relate to your story specifically is that you bought your boat pretty soon after taking the sailing courses, which is sort of our action plan at the moment as well. And I wanted to ask you, since you were boat shopping with uh, relatively little knowledge of sailing, and you likely had an idea of you what you wanted in the boat, so if you were boat shopping now for the first time with all the knowledge that you have now, what would you look for in that first boat? Okay, so it is accurate that we knew nothing about boats or very, very little when we bought the boats. What would you say, Ryan? We didn't know anything. We went to a boat show thinking we were going to buy a new boat and we had to ask the guy what everything was that was on the options list because we didn't know anything. Like, how foolish were we? <laughs> What's a code zero? I don't know. <laughs> sure, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Great opportunity to upsell you on everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think for us, like, I, that's such a hard question because I am really happy that we got the boat that we did, Polar Seal. It's a, a, a Benetoa Oceanus 40. And it's worked really well for us. But I could have seen a situation where we, and I think we just got lucky that we found that boat and it actually ended up working out for us. We could have been in a situation where we didn't know what we we're doing and just bought like the totally wrong boat for us. Um, so it's a really hard question to answer from my perspective because there's days that when we're out sailing, I'm like, oh, I really wish we had a nice beefy boat that's center cockpit and we're super protected and stuff. And then Sophie will come back with the argument, well, we spend all of our time on anchor, so we should have a boat that's comfortable and as a home. And I agree with that too, because we spend 80 to 90% of our time on anchor living on the boat and not sailing it across ocean. So yeah, that's a hard one. I, Sophie, what do you think? I think that we made a great choice. When we looked at boats originally, because we knew nothing about boats, we looked at the boat as a house, as a potential home. And I think that this served us really well because we end up taking our boat out on the ocean, maybe, you know, for one day that we'd spend at sea, we spend one week to 10 days uh, out on anchor or in the marina. So we don't sail that much versus how much we leave on the boat. 
it doesn't mean that our boat cannot be taken across oceans. Uh, we've done that a couple of times now. We've done some pretty hard passages with our boat, but she's a great house. She's comfortable. And I think that for me, that, that's what works the best. So I, I don't think, I think that if we had more knowledge of boats and sailing at that time when we were looking for a boat, I think that we would have ended up thinking it, overthinking it in terms of choice. Not knowing anything, we bought a boat quickly and then we worked with what we had and it turned out to be really good. I would say maybe one thing that I would change or I would recommend to people is that and this is my own my own fault. When we bought the boat, it was 40 feet, and we were originally looking at 37 feet. And when we brought it back to Stockholm, it was like the biggest boat in the archipelago. Everybody in Stockholm archipelago has like 35 foot boats. And I kept telling Sophie, like, this boat's way too big. It's way too big for us. Like, I don't know how we're gonna handle it. And then when we got out in the North Sea and started having heading down the coast of France it was the smallest boat all of a sudden in the marinas. And then when we get across the pond in the Caribbean, like we have one of the smallest boats out there and we living on the boat now for three years can really feel that space. And so I think, I think if I were to go back and do it again, I would probably try to find the biggest boat that we could comfortably afford. So not stretching it, but then that we could also handle uh, ourselves. So I would much rather have a 45 foot boat or maybe even up to like 48 or 50 foot boat. That's maybe a little bit older because if you're living on it full time, you can definitely use that extra space. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Yeah. Really good point. I can so relate to that, that the more, you know, the more challenging boat shopping becomes. I think I've talked myself out of at least 10 boats by and I'm not adventure boat shopping yet. I'm just, you know, talking to people and browsing Yacht yeah. World and I'm like I've abandoned like at least ten boats that I was before dead set on getting and I'm like, nope, nope, not that one, not that one. So yeah, I, I can see the simplicity of going about it with relatively little knowledge. And speaking of all the experience you have gotten and sort of your learning journey, um, I know in one of your video uh, videos, it's about Sophie doing an offshore expedition with 59 North. And it's sort of early on in your sailing journey. I'm wondering, can you speak to that experience a little bit? How important or beneficial was that for you? And maybe in what way? It was amazing and so invaluable in so many, many ways. Uh, you can learn how to handle a boat by taking a sailing course, and then you can continue to develop that knowledge and build experience with your own boat by sailing, you know, day, like day sailing and island hop. But when it comes to going far offshore and starting to do really serious sailing for several days, it's a it's it's a gap. It's a big um, it's a big step to take, and being able to do it in an environment that was safe with people that had experience and knowledge really enabled me to go way out of my comfort zone, but in an environment that I felt safe doing so. So it was very stress free. So we got into the tides, the waves. Um, I got really seasick. And we were far north in the North Sea. We were crossing the North Sea between um, the west coast of Sweden and Scotland. And it was fantastic. It was, a, it was such a great experience because I came back to my boat with, first off, more miles than Ryan, which, yay. But also the experience of seeing how other people work on their boat, what they do differently than what we do on our boat. And it was just so valuable. And in terms of building confidence, it was great. I arrived. I arrived back to our boat on which we had. We were just about to move on Polar Seal. I felt good. I was like, yeah, I can do this. Oh yeah, I think that's really good. So it definitely then built up your confidence level overall. And yeah, I can see how doing something like that in a safe environment and going through all that learning without being the one kind of responsible for everything. So yeah, I can see how that would be a really useful experience. 
it was really hard, you know, when we get started to build experience. Ryan and I were very isolated in the sailing community. We knew nobody. We knew no sailors when Ryan and I were uh, first trying to handle our own boat in Stockholm's archipelago. And to build up experience, if you don't know anybody, it's really hard. And so I, I 100% recommend to anyone who considers to go on cruise to go cruising and to uh, do more serious offshore sailing to uh, to start doing it with somebody who knows what they're doing because that knowledge um, is just so incredibly invaluable. Great experience. Yep, you speak my language. I currently live in Ottawa, Canada. There is no ocean nearby. There are some lakes and rivers and stuff, but I know zero people with boats. I don't know anyone who's into this lifestyle, <laughs> which is why I started the podcast, so I can talk to people. So here we go. <laughs> Yay, I love that. <laughs> so you've obviously come a long way since you started and your sailing adventures have taken you from all over Europe to the Caribbean and now you're kind of coming back to Europe and then you'll be heading to the Caribbean again at the end of the year. So I'm curious about this since you have sailed in both regions, can you share some cost or other differences related to sailing and the live aboard life in Europe and the Caribbean? Oh, wow. How much time do we have? Uh <laughs> I would say that when we started sailing, our first season was between Stockholm down to Gibraltar. And in those areas, there were very little places for us to anchor. So we were mostly spending our time in marina and, you know, we were hopping along the coast. In the Mediterranean, marinas are way too expensive, but there are a lot of good anchorages. So we would spend a lot of our time on anchor. But because the weather patterns in the Mediterranean are so inconsistent, we would be kicked out by weather every other day almost. We would change anchorage like at least every three days. What would you say, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was getting very tiring and frustrating because we'd find a place that we really liked and we're like, oh, we should stay here a week. And then the next day the swell would come in and it just made it untenable. Like we couldn't stay there. Then you have to go to the other side of the island, which takes all day. And it's just... <laughs> it was really frustrating. And so because you don't end up spending a lot of time on Anchor, you don't meet as many people in the Mediterranean as you do in the Caribbean or on your way to the Caribbean. So when you start cruising towards the Canary Islands and Cape Verde, you're going to meet people that are crossing the Atlantic to go cruise in the Caribbean. And in the Caribbean, it's adult camp. <laughs> You arrive on Anchor, there will be somebody waiting for you with a drink everywhere, <laughs> which is, you know, it's it's good. I enjoy that very much. Um, but so atmosphere is uh, the type of people that you meet in different places, how long you can stay on Anchor, how often you have to sail or mutter. Those things change so much based on the geography of a place. Yeah, I think you really, Sophie, hit like the the life, like the, the social aspect of it really well. Like the med, we just didn't meet. The, the only time you meet people in the med is like wh where you're overwintering because everybody finds a marina to stay in for the winter. And then you get to meet a bunch of people there and then you move on uh, and then you might move on with them. So that's cool. But then it's hard to meet people out there. But in the Caribbean, it's like you meet new people all the time and you go to a new anchorage and you might know four or five people there already when you roll in. So that's fun. But I think the med uh, has a lot more history. I mean, there's history in the Caribbean, but you got to go find it. But there's like this just like thousands year old history. So new ports you go in, there's all these old medieval towns and stuff, which is cool. And there's really good food and it's cheap. So that part, that part's great in the med because the Caribbean, the food is very expensive and it's not cheap. <laughs> so there's, there's like pluses and minuses to both. Um, I enjoy the Caribbean. Sophie doesn't enjoy it as much as I do. I think Sophie enjoys the med more than I do, but that's fine. We just kind of find our place and we found a few islands that we like and a few places we don't like. And I think that I would love the med on a catamaran. Yeah, I agree with that. Because the problem with the Mediterranean is the swell and how rolly an anchorage becomes. And if you're on a catamaran, you're a lot less sensitive to swell and rolliness. And I am not kidding when I said that I have gotten seasick 
on anchor on our boat in the men. And you're on a catamaran, you don't have to worry about that. So yeah, Mediterranean on a catamaran, great. Uh, on a monohull, eh, not sure. Yeah, I guess if you're not staying in the marinas, which is, like you said, are really expensive in the Mediterranean, it becomes a little tricky for sure. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was really interesting. Um, and also interesting to hear that the food is more expensive uh, in the Caribbean. But I guess it makes sense. You have to import everything and uh, whatnot. Yeah, and it's not as good at all. <laughs> yeah, of course, so. nothing beats European cuisine. <laughs> no. So... You've been living this lifestyle now, and like you said, you meet new people, you are encountered with all different kinds of weather systems as you go and change places and do offshore sailing. And um, this is a bit of a vague question, but I'm wondering, is there anything that after a few years of doing this still surprises you? I, I think that... What surprises me the most still to this day is the variety of people that you end up meeting on the water because you have something in common and it is it is something among sailors. We help each other, we socialize, we say hello. We end up meeting people that we would have never, ever, ever met in real life. And I'm talking everything from, you know, different socioeconomic backgrounds to different ways of thinking about sailing as a lifestyle, but also a mode of transportation. The, the variety of people that we meet is, uh, is incredible. And I'm thinking, we, we never really get to talk with the man, but um, do, you remember, do you remember Sven Irvin, Ryan? Mm. Mm. Okay, yeah. so Sven Irvin is a Swedish guy who sails tiny little boats that he builds himself. And so he builds really small capsule-like boats uh, that, that he sails across oceans, something that I could personally never do, but I find it fascinating. And had I crossed that person in my life, I don't think that we would have necessarily talked or hang out. Unfortunately, we didn't really have the time to meet him because he left, I think, two days after we arrived in Horta. But that that man was fascinating. And the, the, <laughs> the amount of different characters that you meet out at sea, just it never ceases to surprise me and amaze me. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I think it's the people really that we we meet and that that just like blows me away. It's just all kinds of people and for the most part everybody's really great and that's it just makes it a cool lifestyle. The other thing that blows me away sometimes continually is the amount of sea life that we see. So uh, everything from like being in the middle of the ocean and seeing a turtle pop its head up to like like huge flocks of birds in the middle of the ocean it's just like for some reason it doesn't get old and that's always really fascinating to me there's just like whole other world out there that we don't know about and don't understand and we're killing in the process but to me it's just super fascinating and it it doesn't get boring to me. Yeah, that's really interesting, both those points. And I can see the point of meeting different kind of people because you all have something in common. And I think in general, this whole Liverbird lifestyle is a bit of a unique thing, but it's a pretty fundamental uh, thing in a person. So when you meet somebody, you immediately know that you might click with them, even you know, no matter what their socioeconomic background is or how much money they make or where they're from. So yeah, those are really interesting points. And yeah, I can understand the sea life is amazing and must be amazing. Would you say the Caribbean or the Mediterranean is better for sort of uh, marine life? I think we, Sophie and I didn't really dive before we started. We snorkeled a little bit and stuff. And there's, there is diving in the Mediterranean, but I, we just left Bonaire and that was like, that was like being an avatar. That was so cool. You go under the water. We started diving down there, got our license. And that was just, it was a whole world, like literally right underneath our boat. And it, every time we went down, I was just amazed. So I think the Caribbean is probably better for that. But what do you think, Soph? Well, the, Cari the, Mediterranean, is, the Mediterranean is cold. It's cold. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, fair enough. But you guys lived in Sweden. How cold going to be? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, yeah, but true in, in, Sweden, in Sweden, you don't even consider getting in the water. That's like 
No. Just quick jump in, jump out. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So, all right. Amazing people, stunning sea life and marine life. It sounds like a dream. But I know it's not because one of the things I love about your videos is that you don't sugarcoat the lifestyle. So you do talk about the challenges and the things that you come across. So I'm wondering if there is a challenge or a source of anxiety or frustration that you are currently facing these days or something that keeps popping up for you guys. Yeah, it's really funny because I was talking about it to uh, the people that I share an office with here in Paris. We're not currently on the boat. I am sitting in Paris editing videos and I go to a co-working space. And people are fascinated with the fact that I live on the boat. And very quickly, we came to discuss boat toilets. <laughs> and, uh, and it was around lunch, so it was also very appropriate. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one thing that really annoys me is the amount of time that I had to talk to my own poop because it would not go through. And that is that is very annoying. I mean, there are tons of other things that, you know, can be annoying or tiring or that. But this this one, this one needs to be fixed. Um, I'm, I'm too young <laughs> to have had that many conversations with my own poop. I mean, I think I think that it's like it's just everyday living that is hard. I mean, like Solacy says, like you just want to use the toilet. It's not even something you think about and then you just push the button and it, off it goes or you take a shower, you know, and you just turn the water on and it's hot. But on the boat, it's like everything is a, a workout. Everything is. Well, it's, a, it's like a, it's just a much bigger deal. You know, OK, you can't take a long shower because we don't have enough water. Oh, is the water hot? I don't know. Did someone turn the water heater on? No, we can't because the batteries are low. Oh, nobody charged up the batteries. So it's like this constant. You've got to you've got to like always be thinking about your home, too, and what's breaking and what's working and what did you have running and what's the weather like? Is the boat bobbing around? Did you get to sleep last night on top of everything else? Uh, which could be your relationship with the person you're sp sailing the small space with. Um, could be the work that you're doing because Sophie and I both still work and the stresses of that. So, yeah, it's just like this whole other level. And I think one of the things we cherish the most when we get off the boat is life's modern uh, conveniences like a flushing toilet and a shower that we can take for 30 minutes and not have to worry about it. And, uh, you know, like all of these things that just mean so much more to you. I mean, you never really think about the wonders of flushing a toilet at the price of a button before you leave on the boat. <laughs> yeah, good point. I mean, I've not had to think about it. Not once. <laughs> it's always just working beautifully. So <laughs> you will, you will. When you leave on the boat and it's 4 a.m. and it's 4 a.m. in the morning and you need to get a workout to flush and you wake up everyone in the process. Maybe I'll go with a composting toilet. 
That might be no, different. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> oh, no. Why? Don't do that. Oh, no. What's we can wrong? talk offline about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll earmark that for later. We're always available to talk about toilets. <laughs> toilets in general. Um, all right. So the toilet may not always be working, but overall, your boat Polar Seal is extremely well equipped after all the years you've been into upgrading it. But I am curious, though, if you had an unlimited budget and power to change anything, either add something new or change something existing, and no, you cannot ask for a catamaran, <laughs> uh, what would you change in your boat? Sorry. I would install an electric toilet. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that is all good. We can definitely continue with the toilet talk. I mean, this podcast is all about real life advice, and that is what we're getting into here. So go ahead. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm really, yeah. Um, no, I, I would. I'm very serious. Uh, an electric toilet would be absolutely life changing, uh, and I am, uh, I am looking, I am looking at it, Ryan. I think I that the we've been talking about it for like a year. Our boat is extremely well equipped, and at this point, we have covered all the basic functions that you know your house is supposed to fill. So we have managed our power supply very well. We have big solar panels, lithium batteries. We have a good inverter that allows us to use most uh, house appliances. We have a water maker that helps us uh, top up the water tank and keep water on board. Uh, we are uh, about to get new sails as well. I think that we're also about to change our boat electronics. So she is in great shape. And to me, when I look at the the last updates that I would want to do on Polar Seal, well, yeah, that that is that is that is the toilet. That is flushing the toilet at the press of a button. Um, very excited about that. The day that I managed to make this happen, I will make a video about it and it will be called my shittiest video to date. It will be great. I think I think from my side, the one last thing, I mean, Sophie hit all the, the big stuff. Uh, I The best thing that we did at Polar Sea was we built an, uh, an arch that has davits to lift the dinghy. And then on top of that, we put solar panels. And then we, at the same time, we put in lithium batteries and and added a water maker and that we did all those at the same time. And that was the best thing we could have done to our boat. It made us able to live without going into marinas to get water. We were able to lift up and down the dinghy safely, keep it stored at night. And we sail with it up there sometimes if it's very short sails, but that was like the best thing we did. We did that a couple of years ago and everything else we've done has just been like little additions to that. And I would say the last there's probably two things. One's le way less important than the others, but the last thing I would really like to do is just change our cushions, like our upholstery in the boat. It's really bad. And when you live in the boat and you're there all the time and you're sitting working on these same cushions, like you want that stuff to be comfortable and look nice, but it's like so low priority that we haven't done it yet. And then I think the last thing is that we use a lot of power while we're sailing, especially offshore, because we use an electric autopilot. And I think the last thing that would help our power consumption equation would be getting like a hydro generator, a watt and C that we could hang off the back. But at this point, we just have too much stuff on the boat. <laughs> so to add another device, like the boat's going to be tilted with its nose sticking up in the air because we have so much weight on it. So um, that might be for boat number two. We'll see. <laughs> well, yeah, speaking of boat number two, I know since I've watched a few of your live streams and videos as well, that you sometimes joke about the second boat or the, the next boat. And I'm curious, um, well, I know there's a lot of people with a lot of thoughts about sailing on a Beneteau, but I would be curious to hear, where would you not go with Polar Seal? We would not take her anywhere there would be icebergs. I think I think that we could probably do some polar type destinations like Greenland or Iceland if we were really thought out about it. Um, I think I don't think I'd want to do like a big Northwest Passage or something like that with the boat, although you probably could. Um, what I discovered on this last trip 
is like, first I'll just say that there's nothing wrong with the Beneteau and there's nothing wrong with production boats. I really hate this, this thing that's developed online where people say you can't take production boats across the ocean because 90% of us, it's the only thing we can afford and they are safe and they are built fairly well. So it's all about just knowing the boat and knowing its limitations. And I think this last trip that we went on where we went from Bonaire to the Azores via Bermuda, we kind of experienced the top end of the envelope, if you will, for Polar COE. We're beating into the wind for about 10 days with, with the boat. And it really, we could really feel like we were starting to get to the limits. I mean, the boat handled it well. She sailed great, but it was pretty beat up by the time we got to Bermuda going upwind. And so, uh, so Sophie shakes her head, but we, we, we're slowly. What do you mean beat up? She's in good shape. Yeah, she is. But what what we're doing is we're finding all kinds of things up in the, the front cabins where the boat was slamming that have started falling apart, like shelves coming out or screws that have come loose. And it was just really hard on the boat. So I think that's the limitation is the boat was built to go downwind in trade wind sailing. And I think that's where she performs the best. Um, so you can sail her upwind, but it's not going to be the most nicest thing in the world. <laughs> but no boat. Okay. No boat is comfortable upwind. Like find me a boat that is comfortable at a 20 degree angle to the wind. And also, I don't think that it's very fair to say that shells are falling apart. We lost one screw. That's it. Okay, and well, we can we can disagree on this. <laughs> and the and the hatches and the hatches leaked a little bit because they're old. I mean, the seals need to be replaced, and that's any boat is going to do that. So I I disagree. I think that I think that production boats are having this bad rep as um, ocean going boats, and it's just not very accurate. Our boat was great all the way from Bonaire to the Azores. Yeah, and you've made a really great video about that as well, about the whole idea of how or why it's not accurate that you can't cross an ocean on a production boat and you talk about seamanship and how the boat, uh, boat is equipped and all that. And I'll definitely link that video in the description as well so people can go check that out. So when you originally set off, I don't think you intended to keep going even this long, a few years. So I am curious, what keeps you going and what makes you come back to this lifestyle? And um, ocean crossings too, you seem to be really fond of ocean crossings. I, I think that it's always, you know, the thrill of seeking a new adventure. And on a boat, it is virtually infinite. There is always a new adventure to be had. And when you've had one, and you know, it's not always fun. You're on the boat for two weeks at a time and it's it's tiring, you're exhausted, and the weather is bad and things break. And then you arrive at destination, you're like, that was the coolest thing I've done. And so you go again. What do you say, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, we we have done a few ocean crossings. I have, I'm not as big a fan of the ocean crossings as Sophie is primarily because I just get bored. Um, <laughs> cause it's just a long time sitting there, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like for us, I think what keeps us going is just the things we talked about earlier. It's like the people that we meet and we run into in this like life that you're, you're like living in with all these people and you're moving around. Oh yeah, I'll see you. We'll meet up in a few months. You know, you're going to this place. We'll see you there. Like, I don't know. I think there's just something about that that kind of keeps us going with it. It's fun. It's hard, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and that's my point. Everybody that I've talked to says like, oh, this is a hard lifestyle. Yeah. But yet everybody keeps doing it. So it must be worth it. Well, we know uh, we know plenty of people who we know plenty of people who have not lasted long in that. And it's nothing it's nothing negative to say on people that decide it's not for them because it is really, really hard. Uh, it, it's, it's like a cliche thing. Like Sophie says a lot, it looks so glamorous, like, oh, you're on a boat and you should be in the sun and drinking margaritas and like your life's great. But that's only a really small percentage of the time, just like it is in a normal life that you're like that. And the majority of the time we're trying to figure out everything from how to clear into a country to how to fix our boat because something stupid broke in the night to how to keep sane living in such a small space. Um, And that part makes it really hard, I think. 
And there's a lot of the aspects that I don't, I'm not sure if people really realize when they step into the life. Yeah, it's a, it's a high reward lifestyle. The reward is really high. What you get out of the lifestyle is incredible sometimes. But the price to get that reward is also very, very high. And so if you're not enjoying the the rewards and the fruit of your labor, of all everything that you had to do to get to that point, then you may experience that the price is too high for you to pay. So, but you have to go out there and try it because you're never going to know if, you know, you think that the value for what you put in it is good. So you have to try. We all have the bad days, I think, in the in the world. Like there's, I call them sell the boat days. So, um, you know, you're working on something or things are going right. And it's just like, you know what? We're selling the boat. And I thought that that was like, just us that did that but as we started talking to more and more cruisers it was like oh yeah mm -hmm. i sold the boat yesterday too and you, you realize that like everybody is going through this like you know they have a really bad day or something's not working they're like we're just selling the boat i'm done you know and then it, you go have a drink and it like calms down or you go talk about things and then you know the next day you're not selling the boat but yeah sometimes you have like two or three times in a day that you sell the boat. So those are like really bad days, <laughs> but uh, yeah, everybody has that. Yeah. And then the dolphins and turtles show up and it's all good again for a while. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about that though, because you have obviously met a lot of different people in your travels and the really the whole premise of this podcast is to share experiences and give advice to those who are thinking about this lifestyle. So on that note, what would be some tips that you would give to somebody who is thinking about making the transition from land life to sailing life? I think that my first tip would be make very small commitments towards that goal. So that can be committing to go to a boat show, committing to sign up to a, a sailing club, committing to buy a boat. Granted, that's a pretty big commitment. But you have to make those really small steps towards the bigger goal because it, it is a big, big, big lifestyle change. Like Everything changes the moment that you start living on the boat and traveling on the boat. And so if you really take it step by step, I think that's, that gives you a little bit stronger chances of success and make those steps milestones because it also can take a really long time before the moment that you have the idea and the moment that you can actually leave the dock. So if you make those small milestones, it makes the whole project a lot more digestible. Yeah, I have a few. I think the first I would say is in the preparation, there's, there's three things I think you need to prepare for before you leave. And the first two are what everybody does. And the third is what everyone forgets about. So the first is, you know, making sure you're, you're prepared and you find the right boat. So like taking, taking the sail lessons, all the stuff we talked about, taking the lessons, finding a good boat, finding your home. The second is your finances. So how are you going to afford to do this life? What should your budget be? And, and all those things. So those are like the first two. But then the third piece is yourself and your partner's relationship and how you're going to live in this new space together and work together. Because all of a sudden you've gone from having a life where maybe you have two different jobs, you go, you go to work, you, you're not with your partner all the time, and now you are with your partner 100% of the time. And not only that, you might be working together if you're doing like a YouTube thing like Sophie and I, or you're operating the boat together, which is a new experience for many people also. Uh, and that's the part I think actually needs the most focus and is probably the part that gets the least attention from people that go out, including Sophie and I, which we realized <laughs> very quickly. So that's my big advice. And then my, I would say the, la the other thing I would say is that you should remember that you're not alone because it can be really scary stepping into the life. I was scared about doing it. Like, okay, I'm with this big boat. I can't screw up going into the marina. Why is this thing breaking? I don't know what we're doing. And that's a, like a really alone feeling when you're taking this big step into buying a very expensive boat and changing your life. And 
you're not alone in that. Everybody else that's out there has that same feeling. And it took me a year or two to realize that. And once I did, I was like much more open with talking to people about it. And it made, especially for guys, because guys are supposed to be like the captain and know everything. And the reality is we don't, we have no clue what's going on (laughs) most of the time. And it can just be really lonely and put a lot of unneeded stress. I think that's another good piece of advice. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And I can completely see and and sometimes I see this in YouTube channels when, you know, if the transition has been quite quick, so somebody's just quit their job, they've just bought a boat, and then you kind of end up doing everything at the same time for the first time. So you've just moved on the boat, you've uh, learned to sail, you learned to live in the small space, and maybe you're doing a YouTube channel and you're learning to edit videos and you are doing everything for the first time. So I can definitely see how that would be really stressful and really difficult to do all of that uh, at the same time. So yeah, definitely really good piece of advice there. Thank you. I think that like psychologists say that there's there's like a few life change, like events in your life and that are like really stressful for the human. And it's like getting married, uh, having a child, getting divorced, changing jobs and moving. Like these are like the five huge things in your life that have stress. If you think about what the boat entails, so you might be quitting or changing your job. You're moving to a new space. You're changing your relationship with your partner. (laughs) So you've like three of the five are going on all at once. It's super stressful. And I don't think people give it enough (laughs) thought when they go for it. Yeah, that's a really good point because you kind of have to go into it with realistic but not too optimistic expectations as well so that you don't get disappointed or like discouraged six months into it and then you end up selling the boat before you've ever got started. Yeah. So I think given that you've been sailing for a few years now that you've accomplished quite a lot in terms of like destinations and crossings and... uh, all that and and I'm wondering and this is totally gonna sound like a job interview question but where do you see yourself in five years sailing wise (laughs) that is as a matter of fact that is Ryan's favorite question (laughs) great Ryan take it away (laughs) oh I hate that question (laughs) I have no idea where we'll be in five years I know I shouldn't ask that sailors and sailors and their schedules. You <laughs> no, never it's know. Really, it's really, it's really funny because I'm, I'm very much of a, of a planner. I've always made a point to have goals in life and make sure that my actions are aligned for, for me to get towards my goals, you know, and for me to think about where we are in five years is very relevant. And I have answers. Absolutely. You ha- you, you'll tell me, Ryan, what you think, but I think that in five years, we will have gone to the Pacific. Yeah, I hope so, yeah. My biggest dream is to sail to Japan, and I, th- and I really hope that within the next five years, we can find both a boat, maybe a polar seal number two, uh, that we can feel we can sail to Japan, and hopefully this is something that we will have done. I think that in terms of continuing to sail, both Ryan and I, we, we enjoy this lifestyle a little too much uh, to think that in five years we will be done with it. Um, but one thing that we want is to have a little bit of a home base uh, because we find that in order to make this life sustainable for us, we need to take short breaks on land. Uh, and that gets us back to the boat refreshed and hungry for more adventures And so we're going to try to find that little home base somewhere because right now we're just going right in life wherever it is that we can stop. So, uh, so yeah, continuing. We're in five years. We'll be continuing to sail. We'll have a little home base where we can go now and then when we need to take a break. And then we'll have explored the Pacific. And why not an accidental circumnavigation that is not excluded? Accidental circumnavigation. Yeah, I, I think that's a good plan. I can support that. Good. <laughs> I think that's vague enough. There's no exact <laughs> dates attached to it yet, so it's just pretty much the Pacific, yeah. maybe. So <laughs> I like Westward, that. always. Well, uh, do tell us where can we follow you guys online and see where your adventure takes you, and do you end up in the Pacific in five years? <laughs> well, until we end up in the Pacific in five years, uh, hopefully sooner. 
but you can follow us on YouTube at uh, Ryan and Sophie Sailing. Uh, it's a name that I brainstormed with myself a lot before choosing it. And if you Google Ryan and Sophie, you will also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And we have a website and a blog. So yeah, Ryan and Sophie on the internet. That's uh, it's a good way to find us. That is the easiest way. And I will link it all in the description. So it will be even easier. Well, Ryan and Sophie, thank you so much for having taken the time to chat with me and for sharing your advice to everybody who is listening. Thank you so much, Annika. This was yeah. a lot of fun. Well, that was an advice-packed episode. I hope you got some good takeaways from this chat with Ryan and Sophie. I definitely learned a thing or two that I have to research further, but all in all, this definitely got me even more motivated to keep working towards my sailing plans. Next week, I interview an amazing woman who is literally saving lives while sailing. You don't want to miss that one, so tune in again next Wednesday. And if you have any feedback or comments about the show, you can reach me on Facebook and Instagram as Liveaboard Sailing Podcast. I hope to see you there and bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.